0: Since 1995, uh, Pixar and Disney have brought us the unlikely friendship of of Buzz Lightyear and Woody the Sheriff. Consider some of the friendships that you were exposed to through movies. I think of Bill and Ted and their excellent adventure. And by the way, they are making a third movie coming out next year. Frodo and Sam, Thelma and Louise, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Harry, Hermione and Ron, Ferris Bueller and Cameron, The Breakfast Club, Holmes and Watson, and of course, Han Solo and Chewbacca. It was the great Mark Twain who wrote, The holy passion of friendship is so sweet and steady and loyal and enduring of nature that lasts through a whole lifetime unless you ask that person to lend you money. So as we turn to our scripture this morning, it's a familiar passage, Jesus healing a paralyzed man. But beyond the miraculous nature of this text, what I want us to begin to see is that we're seeing a beautiful model of friendship within this text and narrative. What I think is that Jesus is calling us to something so much deeper than we anticipate. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 reads, Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now by this point in the gospel narratives, Jesus has gained reputation as a healer, as an exorcist, as a powerful teacher, and much more. But now he turns his attention to his hometown, people that knew him, people that he knew well. This man could have been an acquaintance to Jesus. This man could have been a friend to Jesus. A small side note as we contemplate that, that this man was paralyzed in Jesus' hometown. Why has Jesus not healed this man before now? A small thought for us to consider is that Jesus arrives in our lives in each moment exactly when we need him to be. And as a group of friends bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus on a cot, the Gospel of Luke describes this scene in much far detail, telling us that the friends come to the house, and there's so many people in the house, they can't get their friend in to see Jesus, so they go up on a roof, they pull away the thatch roofing, and lower the man right before Jesus. These men are willing to introduce their friends to Jesus by going up on top of someone else's house, tearing through it in order to bring their friend to Christ. And Jesus handles this moment with so much grace. I'm sure he was in the middle of teaching something, and it was getting really good. And yet Jesus doesn't balk at this moment. He doesn't get mad for being interrupted. He doesn't even say anything to the homeowner that now has a gaping hole in the middle of his roof. Instead, Jesus says to the man, Your faith, their faith, has healed him. Friend, your sins are forgiven. You see, in this day and age, physical ailment and disabilities were believed to be part of one's sinful condition. Therefore, Jesus is striking right at the heart of what is going on in this man's life. And don't you find it fascinating that Jesus leaves the man's physical condition unresolved because we've got a group of Pharisees that are about to interrupt this. In verse 3 it says, At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. At the words, your sins are forgiven, everything changed, and the Pharisees begin to flip out. Oh, the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees are the ideal spiritual leaders. They know all the right answers. They seem so personally pious. But then when you let your guard down, they become psycho Billy ninjas and begin to go crazy all over you. You see, the Pharisees are more concerned with sin than they are of the human condition. They're more concerned with their laws and their religion than an actual individual. And this man is here in this moment, here in this plight, and they're more concerned with the fact that they believe that Jesus is a blasphemer. Blaspheming was an act that was supposed to be misspeaking of God's name and God's truth. And the, the, the conduct of blasphemy would end you with a rock on your face and multiple rocks being thrown at you as you were killed as a heretic. You see, the Pharisees, out of their obsession for the law of Moses, made everything about the way they thought you should and should not act, what you should and should not say. What they don't begin to realize is that their self-righteousness is standing in the way of this man being touched by Jesus. And this is what religious extremists do. When they can't fit Jesus into their theology box, they begin to reject and objectify him and vilify him. And don't you find it interesting that The religious people in the story are the ones that are clambering around Jesus to hear a word from this man. They're so concerned with teaching and with religion that they didn't even have the humility and hospitality to move out of the way so this man could be brought to Jesus. Instead, they're forced to lower him through the roof. How often self-righteous religiosity stands in the way of other people getting to Jesus. Verse 4 says this, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, so he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. We can add to Jesus' bucket list of superhuman skills mind reading. You know that had to be an awkward moment when Jesus is producing their thoughts for them in words. Jesus' interaction with the Pharisee raises some challenging theological questions around why humans are so concerned with sin and less concerned with restoring human brokenness. Yet we see God's priority within this text. What is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? Jesus is actually honoring this man in this moment. By forgiving his sins, he is now restoring this man's conscience, but not only that, he's restoring him to be able to come back into the temple as a clean and full citizen within the kingdom of God. Jesus makes it clear that he has authority to both forgive sins and to heal. What's fascinating about this text is that we begin to find our place in the story. We either see ourselves as a paralytic, as the Pharisees, or as the friends. And since we've recently, through the Gospel of Matthew, focused on self-righteous religiosity, and since we've recently focused on human brokenness, instead, I want us to zero in this morning on this group of friends. The friends in this story, to me, are the central figures. They're good friends, They do everything humanly possible to bring their friend to Jesus. They're willing to climb up onto a roof, to tear away the thatching, to lower this man before Jesus, to, to, to risk everything for their friend. These are good friends. They get their friend to Jesus. And I think what we begin to see from this text is that Jesus is interested in us having healthy and vibrant relationships. I believe what we begin to see is that Jesus cares about the type of friends that we are. I believe that Jesus cares that that we desire to bring people before him. And I think the first thing that we can learn from these friends is what it means to be authentic friends. There's a passage in Proverbs 18 verse 24 that reads, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother." Or as Eugene Peterson translates it in the message, friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. You see, there are friends, and then there are friends. I don't know what you call them. We have people in our life that are central to who we are, and then we have people that are just kind of like faux friends. And Proverbs eighteen twenty four tells us that there's a huge difference between people who come and go in our life and people that stick t- closer to us like family. And see, the narrative that we begin to see within this text is these are reliable people. These are authentic people that seek to bring healing into their friend's life. In fact, in Proverbs, he's using two different words here to describe friends. The first word he uses here is reah, which simply means a companion, a neighbor, or a friend. At first glance, it seems so normal, what all of us would want to be. But then later on in verse 24, it says that there is a deeper friendship. There is a friendship, he writes here, ahab, which is a word that means uh, friend, yes, but it, it means beloved. It means dearly loved. It's a term of endearment, not just for friendships, but also we see this within the Old Testament as one grounded in marriage and lifelong companionship what we begin to grasp is that there is a difference between reah and ahab, friendships. There's a difference, and we see that within the Gospel of Matthew. If we want to bring our friends to Jesus, then we must be authentic people. There's a clear difference between being a faux friend and the real deal. I was in college when social media began to sprout. So there was the first wave of things, friendster, hotornot.com, MySpace, all these wonderful sites, And then back in the day, in order to be on Facebook, you actually had to have a college email address, which is why Facebook wasn't cool anymore when my parents and grandparents started to get on Facebook. Now there's 3.48 billion people now using social media. It means that people are more connected and there's a larger number of people and a variety of people that we can connect with on a daily basis than we thought a decade and a half ago. In fact, 3.48 billion is up 9% from 2018, and it continues to grow each and every day. Now, as of few days ago, I have 2,360 friends on Facebook, 586 followers on Twitter, and 146 followers on Instagram. Don't judge me on my Instagram numbers. I just got on the platform really in the last six months. You see, as I look at these friends, it's from preschool, from high school, from college, from speaking engagements, from ministry friends, from consulting for CBF for years, for various church communities I serve. I have a lot of people that I'm connected with across all these platforms. But the question is, am I really friends with 3,000 people? One of the drawbacks to our connectedness with others on social media is that we have blurred the lines between acquaintance and friends. And I think if we're all honest and start notching through the friendships and the people that we follow on social media, we'd really come away with a slight, slightly smaller number. And let's not throw social media completely under the bus because it has actually made us more connected than we ever have before. We now have more information. We know what's going on in each other's life. We have more opportunities for friendships than we do apart from it. And our friends from Matthew chapter nine teach us something profound about friendships. It's about intentionally being present in people's lives. To say that lives will have its ups and downs, its twists and turns, would be an understatement. And I believe the primary reason that God has made us relational creatures is so that we can have companions on life's journey. As one author put it, when our need for social relationships are not met, we fall apart mentally and physically. There are effects on the brain and on the body. Some effects work subtly through the exposure of multiple body systems and excess of amounts of hormones and stress. Unmet social needs takes a serious toll on our health, eroding our arteries, creating high blood pressure, and even undermining our learning and memory. It's the same way. We need relationships, healthy relationships in our life. We need people present and intentionally present within our lives. It's at the very core of who we are as human beings to be connected with other people. And it's not a journey we face alone, but one that we face suffering and high moments that are worth it by paying the cost of true friendships. This is what's at the heart of the Proverbs passage where he's calling us to have ahab friendships, these friendships that go deeper. The book of Ecclesiastes writes, two are better than one because they are, have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up a fellow, but woe to who is alone, and has no one left to pick him up. Are there friends in our life that are really difficult and really easy? Yes. Are there friendships that are really nasty? Absolutely. But if we think about it, we are called to be present into other people's lives, We are called to bring the goodness of God into other people. As the great priest and writer Henry Nouwen put it, when we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice and solution and cures, have chosen rather to share in our pain, to touch our wounds with with warm and tender hands. To bring friends to Jesus, we must intentionally be present in people's lives. When I was 19 years old, my grandfather passed away. And 10 years later, within 13 months, I lost the remaining three of my grandparents. And so uh, the funerals were held in Jacksonville, Florida, which is where my grandparents lived and where my parents grew up. So on four separate occasions, I stood in a funeral home parlor greeting uh, older people that came up to me and said, oh, you look just like Patty and Willard, or don't you remember me? I used to change your diapers when you were a baby, which is just a really creepy thing to say to somebody. I had no idea who 90% of these people were, but they knew my family, they knew my parents, they knew my grandparents. I remember my parents' best friends from when we lived in Alabama drove nine hours to be present at all four funerals. I remember my parents, best friends from North Carolina, drove eight hours to be present at these funerals. And then there were people who were my parents' age who walked into the funeral home. They walked straight to my parents and with solemn and joyful faces, hugged them tight. And immediately the room was full of stories. You see, these were my parents' friends from way back in high school, Over 40 years had passed since these people had graduated together, yet they were there and present in each other's life when it mattered the most. Years and mileage are not a barrier for these friendships. To see friends and the bond my parents have is such an affirming thing. And from these four funerals, I developed an inner dialogue called the Funeral Challenge. A determinative of a true friendship is whether or not someone is willing to be there for you in the most difficult hour, like losing someone you love. I think one of the most profound things these paralytics friends taught us is what it means to be the presence of Jesus in people's lives. Some friends make it easier to love than others. And I know some of y'all, when I said some people are easier to love than others, started thinking of some other people. Don't look at them, they're in the space why are y'all looking at me now after I talk about difficult people to love? It's difficult to care for others when they have hurt us and when they haven't owned up to their mistakes. It's difficult to care for others when they're expecting it and not expecting to give it back to us. But when we serve others, we're giving people a glimpse into God's love. When you invite someone over for a meal, when you take them out for coffee, when you write them a note of encouragement, you're giving them a glimpse into who God is. When you invite others to join you on an outing, when you text a word of encouragement, when you look after someone's kids for a few hours so they can have a break, You're giving someone a glimpse into God's love, and the hardest thing we face in authentic friendships today is busyness and time and self-interest and divisive opinions and work and on and on and on. Yet the greatest healer and sustainer is love. Love seen through prayer and compassion and patience and serving and forgiveness and maturity and hope. Every day, you and I have the unique and profound opportunity to bring other people into the presence of Jesus by living out the way of Jesus in our lives. Every day, we have the opportunity to live into a new way of thinking and living that transforms lives, heals brokenness, and is radically changing the world. Every year, uh, adventurers ascend upon the Himalayan mountains for a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to trek Mount Everest. Now, for most, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because what the great mountain cost is so much. The cost of training and travel and paying the Nepalese fees and hiring a Sherpa and bringing the right gear costs most hikers between forty-five to fifty thousand dollars. Okay, I'll let you gauge it for just a second. So what do you do when you come across a fellow hiker who is in peril as you are trying to partake in this once-in-a-lifetime activity? See, this was the challenge that Bowen uh, McCall, uh, a Wall Street banker, faced in 2006. He and his group came across a stumbling hiker who nearly was falling off the mountain, and the climbers uh, was out of oxygen and facing absolute death if he was left alone on the path. And a few climbers took him a few steps down the mountain to ease his plight, but no one made any type of decisive action. You see, in their minds, there was something far more important, the self-interest of reaching the top of that mountain. And assured by his guides the man, uh, that the man would be okay, The uh, Bowen McCoy, he, he continued with his group onward. The problem is the injured hiker was never seen again. Sir Edmund Hillary, the first man to successfully climb Mount Everest in 1953, was informed about the incident. And Hillary was outraged that 40 climbers passed this stricken mountaineer without taking decisive action to save him. And he said, On my expedition, the first successful ascent to Mount Everest, there was no way that we would have left a man under a rock to die like that. If you know someone who is in great need and you're still strong and energetic, then you have a duty to give all that you can to get that man down instead of getting to the summit. I wonder if we see our friendships in the same light. Do we believe that the gospel is good news for all people? That God's love is the most life-giving and transforming power on earth that everyone Should have the opportunity to choose to follow Jesus in this new and radical, powerful way of life, that the Spirit of God can empower us to live such lives. Do we believe and see the essential and urgent nature of bringing our friends to Jesus? Do we believe that Jesus is the pathfinder that everyone needs to lead them in their life? I want to be a friend like the friends in Matthew. I want to live out a life that reflects Jesus to my friends that has given me life of what transforms my heart daily, what restores my soul, what empowers me to be a person of hope and patience and goodness and gentleness and compassion and mercy and self-control and love. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 17 verse 20, truly I tell you if you have faith as small as a mustard seed you can say to this mountain move here to there. You see, nothing is impossible with God. God is inviting us to have a faith as small as a mustard seed, to live out lives of faith, and to be a beacon of hope to the people entrusted in our lives. Nobody is inviting us to beat people over the head with the Bible. Nobody is inviting you to preach a a turn or burn passage. Nobody is inviting you to judge and condemn other people. I think what we're being invited to do through this text is to be a people of hospitality, to be a people of authenticity and intentional presence, to bring people into the presence of Jesus. But I also believe that we can bring people into the presence of Jesus in practical ways, such as UBC's Connect Groups and church-wide gatherings, the Family Tree Cafe, Dinner and Plays, English Conversations, Youth Outings, and come to think about it, worship. We're trying to create authentic and organic opportunities for you and I to bring our friends to Jesus. So, how might you leverage the opportunities like? running groups, or swimming groups, or book groups, or golf groups, or cooking groups, or guitar lesson groups, or ladies groups, or playdates group, or crawfish gatherings, or fall gatherings, or spring gatherings, or summer gatherings, and we're just getting warmed up. What if you created a new connect group around a like interest activity as an intentional way to bring your friends into the presence of Jesus? It sounds kind of fun. Actually, it sounds kind of easy when you think about it. It's simply profound that you and I have the opportunity to bring people into the presence of Christ by bringing people into this faith community. And if we believe in what this faith community is doing, then we should be inviting people to be a part of it. A recent Gallup poll found that 82% of the unchurched people are likely to attend church if a friend or coworker or neighbor or family member invites them. Perhaps we need to pause in response to that. Perhaps we need to restate that. More than eight out of ten people of unchurched said they would come to church if they were invited by someone else. The study also found that two percent of churchgoers invite people to church on an annual basis. Now, I am not a mathematical genius. Um, There's some other people in this space that are. But that number brings a challenging reality into view. So my prayer from this text this morning is that we contemplate our faith in Christ. We contemplate that God has equipped you with the gifts and skills and experience and assets to be the presence of Christ in your own unique way every single day through your friendships. And at the same time, we have the unique and profound opportunity to invite people to be into the presence of Christ in this authentic and beautiful and vibrant faith community. Are we willing to be like the paralytic's friends? Are we willing to step out in faith, to be blessed by Christ, by seeing great faith in our lives, to bring our friends to Jesus?